So today we are going to be continuing our series on Exodus. I am going to be reading from Exodus 5. It says this, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous. Why are you stopping them from working? The same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work as required of you for each day, just as you when you had straw. The Israelite foreman, appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers, were beaten and asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? The Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants were given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy. That's what you are. Lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw yet because you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized that they are in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made a stench to made us a stench to pharaoh and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us moses returned to the lord and said oh lord why have you brought trouble upon these people why is it you sent me is that why you sent me ever since i spoke to pharaoh to speak in your name he has brought trouble upon the people and you have not rescued your people at all let's pray Oh, we pray as I speak this morning that more and more of your heart is revealed and we understand your name better and better. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So names are, are kind of a big deal. Uh, and everywhere we look now, we see companies' names. And I'm going to tell you the first version of this sermon was just a massive run against capitalism and bricks without straw and how that's really what's going on today. 
But you guys have heard me do that before, and I'm going to do it again soon anyway. So I'm, I've decided to make it about something else for a change. Uh, but my point is, when we see a company's name, when we see that logo, it's more than just a name. It's about what that name reminds us of. It's what about what that name represents. For example, Jeff, do we have the first... Uh, when I see this logo, <laughs> I know that when I buy Pepsi from a store, which I shouldn't, but I do, uh, I know that it's going to be the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. I know we can go to England and buy Pepsi there, and it'll taste the same. Uh, same thing with this next one. I'm afraid to say another thing I should not buy, but I do. Uh, I know I'm going to get that same tasting chicken today, tomorrow, all over the world. We can take the kernel down now. That's too much of the kernel for a Sunday morning already. The name isn't just the name. The name is about what that name represents. It's about what that name can make us confident of. Names matter, and that's what we're going to talk about a bit today. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Exodus, looking at this way out series, looking for ways out of unhealthy ways of thinking or acting. And Ashley spoke a couple of weeks ago wonderfully about breaking the cycles of violence, a way out of those cycles of violence. And Daniel spoke last week about finding a way out by listening to voices that perhaps we hadn't listened to in the past. And today, we're going to be looking at God being God <laughs> and the way out that God provides to the oppressed. Because a whole chunk of Exodus, I don't know if you've been reading at home, you should do because it's wonderful. Uh, a whole chunk of the first few chapters of Exodus talk about the oppression of the Hebrew people. We kind of get a very broad overview for a couple of cha chapters of the generational oppression that they find themselves under. And then in chapter 5, we see this kind of more concise, more specific example of the oppression that they're facing. And we'll talk about that in a moment. In these same chapters, we see Moses has run away. He's made himself quite a good life. He's doing quite well as a shepherd, has uh, a family. Every, everything seems to be working out. And then God tells him, I've heard the cry of my people. I will let them go, and I want you, Moses, to partner with me in that. And Moses, like the best of us, responds to this incredible offer of partnership with God with a resounding, can't someone else do it? And I will say, for a very long time, I was quite unsympathetic towards Moses on this. I felt like, why is this guy not seizing this opportunity? God is offering to partner with you, and you don't want to take it. That's not good enough. You need to partner with God. But first of all, I guess, I think I do that all the time. I think I'm given numerous opportunities to partner with God, and far too often I do not take them. I think we are often given opportunities to reveal who God is, to reveal how God loves people, and sometimes we don't seize those opportunities. But I think another reason that Moses doesn't want to jump on this offer with God is because he sees just how hopeless the situation is. He sees how broken those people are. And he sees that every time he tries to fix something, he just ends up making it worse. 
let me just repeat a couple of those pieces because I think they're important. In Exodus 5, we're hearing that Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go so they can hold a festival to me. And Pharaoh says, who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. So you see what's happening there. The name of God means nothing to Pharaoh. And because it doesn't conjure anything, because it doesn't represent anything, because it doesn't mean anything to him, he's not compelled by the name of the Lord. In verse 6, he says, the same day. So the same day Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh gives his order to the slave drivers and overseers. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather straw. They are lazy. And the overseers go to Pharaoh when they find out that's not possible. <laughs> they find Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they say, may the, Lord, like, they, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill them. So Moses, in trying to make things better for the Israelite people, has ended up making it far worse. He's hoping that he'll be maybe seen as a bit of a savior as someone that's trying to make things better. And instead they're saying to him, please just stop. Every time you talk, you make something worse. So things aren't going well. <laughs> for Moses or for the Israelites. And so I think more and more it is understandable why Moses doesn't feel great about what he is doing. So the Israelites complain to Moses and then Moses complains to God and then God says, all right, Moses, it's been rough, but you go and tell the Israelites this. This is Exodus 6 now. I'm the Lord and I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. And you think that such a rousing message would melt even the most frozen of Israelite hearts. Uh, I'd like to think that if I had a message that was directly from the Lord, it would be very impactful and you'd all be paying an awful lot of attention. Uh, but instead, <laughs> this is what the people say that it says. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and hard labor. One of the striking things for me here is that despite all of the wisdom, despite this being a message direct from God, a promise direct from God, that all that wisdom and all that kindness and all those promises that actually had been previously fulfilled by God to God's people were not enough for them in that moment. They are so discouraged. They are so broken. They feel so exhausted. They've been treated so poorly for so very long that things just feel hopeless. God's name means nothing to Pharaoh, but it doesn't mean much to the Israelites either. Daniel shared last week about Exodus 3 and Moses having this encounter at the burning bush, which some of us may be familiar with. And when he says, look, I need, to, I need a name, I need to tell people who you are, 
you know, all these other gods, they have names. What's your name? I need to tell people what your name is. And God's response is, in our translations, it says, I am who I am. Perhaps a more accurate and better translation is, I am and I will be. I am the God who is. I am the God who will be. There is a constancy there. I will be there. But for the Israelites who are stuck in the midst of this oppression, it doesn't feel like God is there. It doesn't feel like God will be there. We're calling this series A Way Out. (laughs) But for the Israelites, it feels like there is no way out. And I realize that I'm trying to fit in a lot today, (laughs) but I'm going to also talk about the 10 plagues briefly. We're going to be talking about the 10 plagues a lot next week as well. So if you have questions about the 10 plagues, now's the time to get thinking about them. But I realize that Exodus is a long book and we need to do a lot of it in a few weeks. One of the things that God is doing in the midst of the plagues, and I think this is especially important for this week, is reminding the Israelites and everyone else who God is, how God's name means something, how it is something that can be relied upon, how it is more than just a name, but it represents something. It represents God's faithfulness and his constancy with his people. Bear in mind that 3,500 years ago, whenever this might be, the Israelites have been living in a land with its own gods. And it sure seems like those gods are on the side of Pharaoh. I've never lived in a place where Christianity isn't the kind of dominant religion, so I can't testify to how hard it must be where that isn't the case. Uh, But for the Israelites, God, the I am and I will be, doesn't seem to be at all. And so... What I've really enjoyed learning about this week is how the plagues of Egypt actually display God's power over the Egyptian pantheon. It's God's way of saying, I know these other gods have been a kind of distraction and it might feel like they're the ones being listened to, but through these demonstrations, I'm going to show you why I am the one that you can put your faith in. I am the one that you can trust. I am, I am. God is reminding God's people, that his name means something, and that with him there is a way out. The ten plagues of Egypt are four chapters of, or five chapters of the Bible, and so we're not going to read all that today, because that will be quite busy. Uh, But if you want to read them over the next week, I would encourage you to do so. They are quite a lot. It'll probably bring more questions than answers. That's okay. We love asking questions here. And if I preach or if I say something that doesn't make sense, come and talk to me afterwards. I love talking about these things. I love answering questions. And if I don't know the answer, I'll tell you I don't know the answer. And that happens all the time. So the 10 plagues of Egypt that are found in Exodus chapters 7 to 11, and they're as follows. First, the water turns to blood, Uh, then there's a plague of frogs, then a plague of lice, then a plague of flies, then a plague of livestock pestilence, a plague of boils, a plague of hail, a plague of locusts, and a plague of darkness, followed by the death of the firstborn. So this is quite an eclectic set of plagues. It's interesting. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot of rhyme or reason. But actually, understanding the Egyptian context 3,500 years ago, understanding the Egyptian gods that were worshipped, 
understanding the context that the Israelites found themselves in, these plagues actually make an awful lot of sense. They show us that the name of God is the one that the Hebrews can put their faith and hope in. And that despite all that oppression, and bear in mind we are dealing with some very, very oppressed people, despite all the hopelessness that they feel, these plagues, these demonstrations of power show that God is there. God is who God is, and God is the God who will be. So, I'm going to rip through this incredibly quickly, but I know, I think it's kind of interesting. The first plague, uh, the water in Egypt turning to blood, uh, demonstrates that God is superior to the Egyptian god of the Nile, who is named Harpy. Uh, the second plague, you may know, is the plague of frogs. This demonstrates God's superiority over Heket, who was the Egyptian god of fertility and water, and herself had the fret head of a frog. Let's have a, there we go. So, yeah, that's pretty impressive, showing our uh, demonstration of power over this god in particular. Uh, the third plague, where all the dust of the land becomes lice, demonstrates God's authority over Geb, who is the Egyptian god of the earth and soil. And actually, if you read the narrative, it's at this point the Egyptian magicians say that they're unable to keep up with the miracles that God is performing through Moses and Aaron, but we're not done. Next was the plague of flies, which shows God's supremacy over Kepri, who's the Egyptian god of creation. Let's have a little picture of Kepri. You might not be able to tell, he's got a scarab for a face. Uh, so <laughs> this head of an, e e of an insect. Next comes the plague over the livestock. And Hathor, who is the Egyptian goddess of love and protection, is depicted as having the head of a cow. Looks like this. We're seeing themes here that all of these demonstrations are God's way of saying, like, I know you feel like these gods are the ones with power. These are the ones that are listening. But each time I'm going to show you that my power is greater. You can put your faith in me. Next is Isis, who's the Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace, and Egyptians, not Israelites, are affected by a plague of boils and sores. See how God's medicine is better than the Egyptian gods. Nut, who is the Egyptian god of the sky, is supplanted when hail rains down from the sky. Couldn't stop the hail. Seth, who's the god of disorder, who... I don't know. Sounds like a pretty great god, actually. <laughs> is shown up when God sends a plague of locusts. And penultimately, Ra, the sun god. We have a picture of Ra, I think. He's the most popular, the most worshipped god in all of Egypt. And if in case it isn't obvious, he actually, his crown is the sun. So Ra, the Egyptian sun god, the most popular, the most worshipped god in all of Egypt for thousands of years. And the ninth plague is one of darkness. Even the most powerful, the most worshipped god in the Egyptian pantheon is nothing compared to our god. People are struck to darkness and their prayers to Ra mean nothing. As I say, there's a lot going on here, and we will talk more about this next week. But all of these are designed to show that God was God. God who was God said God was. I am and I will be. 
And just like I know what I'm getting with Pepsi and with KFC, the Israelites could tell what they were getting with God, the God who is and the God who will be. A God who hears their cries. A God who extends his arm over and over again to save. A God who gives them a way out from the back-breaking oppression that they're experiencing. This is their God and this is our God too. So they knew what the name of God meant. One who listened, one who had power, one who wouldn't abandon them, one that was showing them a way out. And, and hopefully we do too. But I, I want us to spend just a moment at the end here thinking about what we want our name as a church to mean. What is it that we want to be associated with? What is it that we want people to know? What do we want the name Wellspring to represent? What is it that people know they will get when they come here? And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's no secret that we have a lot going on here. If you're new, trust me, we have a lot going on. That's okay. We're in a building that we can't afford, obviously. We're in a denomination that doesn't feel that we're a great fit anymore. Uh, we're learning about some quite awful things that have happened historically in this building by ministers that led within it. And despite all that, I am still really excited. And maybe that's naive, but here I am anyway. Because I think that name, Wellspring, can be an encouragement, and I think it can be a balm, and I think it can be a reminder of how wonderfully loved by God we all are. Like, I have seen churches buckle and break under way less pressure and way less uh, madness that we seem to find ourselves in all the time. And yet, even two weeks ago, many of you stayed after the service for like an hour and a half to listen to where we are at. And yet we continue to be in a place where we can honor one another in our questions, where we can disagree well, where we can be centered on who Jesus is and the life that Jesus led and what that means for us now. We can be reminded that, that actually the name isn't about the building, it's about the people that gather and about the God that we worship and about the Jesus who shows us again and again and again what it means to love our neighbor. Like, if God is trying to show us a way out of this building right now, okay, we'll take it. If it's what God wants us to do, wonderful, we'll do it. And if God wants us to stay, we'll do that too. And either one is good because it's what God wants us to do. And we get to celebrate being obedient to the one who knows and loves us so well. I think our name is beginning to mean, I think it can continue to mean, and I want it to mean a place where everyone can experience that radical welcome that Jesus exemplifies. That people that might not have fit somewhere else, that people that might not be able to be their authentic self, where they can't be completely vulnerable or honest about who they are, hopefully this is a place where they can. I believe the name Wellspring can mean those things. So it's not just about a name, it's about what that name represents and what people know and what we can share about this place too. And, and if I can, <laughs> I just encourage you to pray on that throughout this week. Because again, this is a church that is wonderful because of 
the way that everyone shares, the way that everyone contributes, the way that we all have something to learn from one another. And so pray, what is it that, that God wants me to share? What is it that God wants from me in this situation? What is it that I have to offer? Because we're a church that loves hearing from you and, and wants to learn and wants to do better. Let that be part of our name too. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you do to remind us of your power and your faithfulness and your love for your people. Lord, we pray for those that gather in this building that they know you better and they know what your name means. Oh, we pray moving forward that we do all that we do to glorify your name, to know you better, to love you and one another more. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.